Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says that, Therefore, I, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. First, chapter, verse 1 says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Chapter 2 says that three things to us. We are not to be conformed to the world, we are to be tra- but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The word, trans- the word conformed is what we're not to do. That means to allow the pressures of life, the pressures of this world system, the pressures of the way the world does things, and it's incredible pressure, peer pressure, just to do things because this is the way everybody else does it. And the, the body of Christ is going to get under greater and greater peer pressure from the world to talk and to think and to act like the world. In fact, it's becoming more and more apparent. And so it's very important to not allow that pressure to change us, because it can't change who we are, but it can change us from expressing who we are on the outside. It's just simply intimidation, and that's the devil's only tool is intimidation. But what we are to do is to be transformed, which means to allow what God has done on the inside of us to come to the outside of us. And we spent a couple of weeks with that chart up there listing for you a number of the things that the Bible says God has done for you, already put inside of you. And then we talked about, but how many of those things are we really walking in? The peace of God, the love of God, being free from fear, being free from bondage, uh, having the wisdom of God flowing in our lives, having the grace of God flowing in every area of our life. And we had to be honest and realize there are not a whole lot of those at this point that are operating in our lives full time and yet they're inside of us. And we saw that the way those go from the inside of our lives, the potential, to the outside of our lives, the vital, is by the process of renewing our mind. And then we've begun to talk about the mind. We've talked about how the mind fits into how God has designed you and we're not going to go back over that. And now we've been talking about the mind itself and how it operates. And we've seen that the mind operates in patterns of thoughts and, and we've talked about some of those patterns, and we won't go back over those either. But what, what but you now turn with me to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. All right, I just didn't go there yet. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 discusses this process. Verse 3 For we knock, we, we walk, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our, so there's a warfare going on. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are not of the flesh, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Casting down imaginations or arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How does it do that? By bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What we discussed is that your mind has three different levels that it operates in. The most basic unit that your mind operates in are thoughts, and we've talked a bit about those, and we finished last week talking about the fact that, that thoughts, um, thoughts control you. Thoughts are the, are the basic bits of information, and your mind tries to connect them together. And what your mind does by connecting together is to form pictures, which are images. The images are what affect you. Individual thoughts don't affect you. It's the images that come from those thoughts that affect you. And we've spent a lot of time going over those thoughts because that's going to be the thing we're going to work on to change the images. And we discovered last time some basic things about thoughts. You can't control the thoughts that come to you. But what you have absolute control over is what you do with those thoughts. 
And we use the example of a delivery service, a UPS man or FedEx or somebody arriving at your door and you're having dinner and the doorbell rings and you go to your door and you open it and there is somebody bringing a package to you. That's the same as someone bringing a thought to you. But you don't have to receive that thought. We talked about the fact that you can say no because you notice they make you sign for that package. The reason they make you sign for that package is it's not yours until you do. But once you sign for it, it's now your responsibility to deal with whatever's in that package. We talked about the fact that we're just because we're human beings and we're so curious and we like getting things, and I'm just like you are. You know, we'll sign for it and then look to see where it came from. But once you sign for it, it's yours regardless of where it came from. And where it came from determines what's in it. And we talked about thoughts. And John 10.10 gives us a real, very good insight. Because it says, Satan comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So we know that packages that have his return address on them, a package, a thought that's come from him, we know, we may not know the details of what's inside. I don't need to know the details of what's inside. I just need to know enough to decide whether I want to sign for the package or I don't. And if I see that that package has come from Satan or it's demonic or it's come from anything that has to do with hell, then I don't want it because I know that what's inside, according to John 10.10, 10, is, is only something that's going to steal from me, kill me, or destroy me or something that's valuable to me. So all i got to decide is do I want to be stolen from, killed, or destroyed? And if I don't, then I don't want to sign for the package. But the big lesson is you have the right to say no to thoughts. Not only do you have the right to say no to thoughts, you have the responsibility before God to say no to some thoughts. And what we need to recognize is that those thoughts are powerful even though you may not be that aware of them because every thought is a dot in some picture. And so we moved on to the, began to move on to the next level which are images and the King James uses imagination. Images are pictures in your mind They're the things that affect you because we're very visual whether it's something you see with these eyes or it's something you see with these eyes. And we use the example of dreams. You can have a dream of a nightmare where you're falling off a cliff or you're falling out of an airplane or something like that or you you suddenly discover yourself standing in front of your high school class with nothing on or, you know, one of those classic scary dreams and you wake up and your heart's pounding and you're sweating, you know, and you're just, you're squeezing the pillow. You are physically reacting to images in your mind that don't exist anywhere. The only place they exist is in your mind. But images are so powerful that they'll increase your heart rate, they'll trigger adrenaline flow, they'll trigger... In fact, some people get up and it takes them a while and a couple of cups of coffee to get over the experience of that dream and it was never real. So we're affected by things that aren't real as well as things that are. In fact, we can be affected by things that aren't real and not affected by things that are real. The, the difference is what is going on in here. We spent this time on it because I want you to understand that images are the things that are affecting you. Your self-image, which is the image of you, what you see, how you see yourself. That's made up of billions of dots. 
Henry Smith came to me Sunday and he says, I just saw a movie. It's neat. Because I talked about, if you look at a newspaper picture, it's, it, it put a magnifying glass on it, it's a series of light colored dots and deep, darker, darker gray dots. And the combination of those dots, when you stand back from them, you don't see the dots, but you see the pattern of those dots and they form a picture. Your television screen works the same way. It is a series of dots. Now, I don't know about these new LED ones, but the older TVs were a series of dots and there were so many dots on a row and so many rows. That's what high-definition television is because the old ones, it used to skip a row. And what it is, is there's a beam of light that's taking the image that was recorded on the camera, turns that camera, turns it into electronic signals. Your television screen, television set, reconverts it into a beam of light. And that beam of light goes back and forth faster than you can see to light up the dots that are already on the outs, on the inside of your TV screen. And it lights them up in the different intensities and the different colors that match the ones that were in the camera that took the picture. If you've ever seen a TV picture of a TV picture, you ever see that? You see it scrolling up. Why? Because because that screen is delayed on your screen. And there's a more technical reason for that. Now, high definition, they've increased the lines and things like that. But the point is, even your moving TV picture is nothing more than a fast series of dots that are illuminated. And that will become important to us. The reason I emphasize that is so that you can understand how important every thought is that comes to you. Because every thought has a purpose behind it, and its purpose is to form or reinforce an existing image. So just as you've got to decide whether you want that package... And last week we talked about the package my brother got in the mail with the frogs in it. Remember that? And and, and and before he found out what was in it, he opened it, and now he's got four giant Louisiana bullfrogs hopping all over the house that don't want to get back in that package. And that's what happens in our mind sometimes when we let things in our mind, and now we've got to spend all that time and energy trying to track those bullfrogs down in our mind and get them back in the box, and sometimes it's almost impossible to do it because by the time you've got three of them in there, that fourth one's loose again, and you're trying to chase him like you chase him. These are loose again. And that's what these thoughts can be like once we receive them and let them loose. But if he had discovered before it was, before he received it, what was in it, he would never have had to have that problem. Even if he received it, he could have opened it carefully and not let them out out of control. But he opened... Oh, this is good. He opened the package to find out what was in. By that time, it's too late. It's loose. And so that's where we ended up last time. So, images, again, are a series of dots that are... are make. So in our mind, it's a series of thoughts that get connected together to form some meaning. Okay, now, the last thing we said about it is images exist only in your mind. And we're not going to have to do it today, tonight, but I put up on the screen last week a picture that showed our granddaughter Emma at a, at a Christmas tea at Blythewood uh, Museum with, with my wife. Just the picture is just of Emma. And I put the picture up there and had you, you know, we kind of all admired her, and then I said, that's not Emma. Emma's home in bed. That's a picture of Emma. 
And when, whenever, I mean, my wife has pictures of our grandkids on her phone. I think that's the reason she got this phone, because it has pictures on it. And she can just look at this picture of your granddaughter in Texas and her grandkids here, you know, and she smiles at them and has all the emotion. That's not our granddaughter. But the image produces emotion because in her mind she connects that picture with Emma or Ava in Texas or with Jonathan here or, or with our other granddaughter, Victoria. So the image stirs up in her the emotion even though that's not her. I know this is real simple and basic, but it's going somewhere. So just follow me because we jump over all that stuff and we don't know how things are working and I'm breaking it down into little elements so that you can understand what's going on inside of your mind so that you can gain control of it because you can't renew something you don't have control over. Okay. So images only exist in your mind and we're going to see tonight why that's so important because if, if, the, if, if what you're trying to change has a reality outside of your mind, you've got to change what's outside of your mind, and that's very difficult to do. But if the only place it exists is in a picture in your mind, you, all you've got to do is change the picture that's in your mind. But never underestimate how powerful those pictures are. Okay, now, let's move on. Understand this. That it does not, in order to be in your mind a picture, it doesn't have to be true. Just because something's in your mind doesn't mean it's the truth. We've all made mistakes before, haven't we? Am I the only one? Okay. We, we've we've all, all seen things incorrectly. You know, we'll see something and we'll react and say, that was terrible. And then you find out, oh, that wasn't quite what I saw. And, but, but to you it was real because it began to form pictures with images in your mind. And so, but just because it's in your mind doesn't mean it's true. I mean, I guess this goes back to my, my lawyer background. I want to know who told you that. I had somebody one time come to me in staff and say, you know, well, they're saying this and they're saying this and they're saying this. I said, okay, who's they? Well, it... Who's, give me names, who's they? It was two people. But they creates an image in your mind of a whole multitude. And when you go back to find out what is it made up of, it was two people. And when I found out who the two people was, I weren't, wasn't too concerned. Okay. So you want to know your sources. Well, the same's true with the images in your brain. Are they based on reality or are they based on the pizza you had last night? Or all these misinformations that have been programmed into you. Remember why we're renewing our mind. Because things have been programmed into us that are not the truth. And the most basic one is what God's like. The most basic image that we all have in our mind that affects us, especially in our walk with God, is the image of what God's like. And that's been made by millions of thoughts that have been put into us in our childhood through schooling, through church experiences, through all kinds of things, experiences we've had with authority, those become thoughts that form an image of God. And you react to God. You respond to His Word based on the image that you have of Him. 
And many of us are trying to live right and do things right, and, but there's a fear in us because we have a fear of what God's like and what He's going to do to us if He finds out what we're really like. So we don't want to really be honest with Him. And yet, He knows what we're like. He knows what we're like. All right. Let's go on to the next one because the next one becomes is the, is the goal for what we're working at. And it goes back to uh, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Let's talk about strongholds tonight. And then we're going to move on to, to if we get through them, we'll move on to uh, uh, how you begin to do this. All right. What a stronghold is, a stronghold is an image. So it's just an image. We know what an image is now. A stronghold is an image that has been there so long and has been fed by so many thoughts that is now exists on its own without anything else to support it. And it controls you. I'm sure most of you have a computer. If you don't have one, you certainly have seen one in the office or somewhere. And, and, and you notice that if you leave the computer alone for a while and you don't do something on it, these pictures start floating up on it or, you know, strange things start moving around on it or your little signs start going across for it or something bumps up and down. And going, you all familiar with those? What are they called? What? Screen? Screen what? Savers. But let me ask you a question. What's the screen have to be saved from? Ah, that's there to save the screen from something. What they found, because the screen on your computer is like the screen on your television, that if those dots, if you leave a picture or some image on your computer screen long enough, those dots that are being illuminated become permanently illuminated. So when you turn the power off, the image is still there, even though it may be faint. And when you turn it back on and you want to run some program, that image is so embedded in those dots. Those dots are so strong, have been illuminated with that particular light for so long, they don't go away. That's a stronghold when it comes to a TV screen or to a computer monitor. The same is true in your mind. It's when that image has been there so long and fed for so long that that image is, becomes part of you. And the sign of it is, it's, it, is, it, is it, it, you, we, we talked a little bit about that last time or the time before, you go from A to Z. It's like, well, it's like husbands and wives. You can be around a husband and wife that have been married for a while, and they're communicating without words. All of a sudden, she may say, would you please pass the salt? And he blows up. <laughs> What's the salt? Well, obviously, there were other things that have gone on between them that somehow that salt request triggered. They didn't go through the process of, well, you didn't pass me the salt because you don't think very much of me, otherwise you would have passed it to me before. And not only that, you don't think very much of me because you didn't compliment me on my dress last night. Not only that, see, those are a whole row of thoughts that they don't have to go through anymore because they're so ingrained in them that just past the salt triggers it. 
That's a stronghold. I told you a few weeks ago, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, the story of the time that my father called me when I was 45 years old, and I'm on the phone for 45 minutes with him while he's tearing into me about something he knew nothing about. And I didn't answer him. I just said, yes. You don't, I just kept saying, you don't understand, you don't understand. Finally, I realized he didn't understand, so I'm not going to say you don't understand anymore because he doesn't understand. And I just sat there for 45 minutes. I got off the phone, and he just said, why would you do that? I said, why did you do what? Why did you stand there? I mean, I'm, I'm a, not that I'm the greatest shakes in the world, but I'm a successful lawyer in a large firm in Boston, and I'm being talked to like I'm 10 years old. And I said, because the moment I hear that tone in his voice... I'm 10 years old inside. That strong image is so embedded in me under pressure that when I heard that tone of voice from his voice, that I reacted inside as a 10-year-old, even though my mind's saying, this is ridiculous. But I couldn't control it because that stronghold had a control over my rational mind. That's what a stronghold is. So a strong, but we're going to learn, learn how to chain, tear down the strongholds. And here's where so many people make a mistake. They attack the stronghold. But it's a stronghold. I can't attack that as much as I try because it is so embedded in me that I'm going to react that way every time. But what we need to do, that's why all this exercise we've gone through... Because what you've got to go back and recognize, a stronghold is nothing more than an image that's been there so long and under such pressure that it's become a stronghold. But it's still an image. And so what we're going to learn to do is to replace that stronghold with a new stronghold. Replace the old strongholds that have been placed in you and that you placed in you with strongholds from the Word of God so that the Word of God becomes a stronghold in you. So that the, what Psalm 120, 112 talks about, about being steadfast, not easily moved. That's a stronghold the Word of God establishes in you so that no matter what anybody calls you or says about you, you know you're a child of God. It won't matter anymore what people think of you because you know what God already has said about you. and that be- See, we know what God says about us because we know the Word of God. The problem is that's not a stronghold in our mind. The strongholds are still, oh, you're a failure, you're a piece of junk, you're never going to amount to anything. Those are the strongholds. So we sit in church, we hear about the grace of God, we hear about the love of God, we, hear, we spend time in the morning looking at Scripture to tell us God loves me, and it gets into our conscious mind, and we say, yes, God loves me, so we can sit in church and say, yes, amen, but we go out there and the moment somebody looks at us the wrong way we fall apart because this doesn't line up with this and the inner image is what controls you and so we're going to learn how to change the strongholds and the way you change the strongholds ultimately is to build new ones but what's a stronghold made up of it's made up of images and what are images made up they're made up of thoughts or dots So the process of renewing your mind starts with going back and learning to put in dots that are going to form the images that are going to form the strongholds that you want. Up until this point, someone else has controlled the dots that get into you. 
because you haven't. You've put them in, Satan's brought them to you, and other people have brought them to you, but you've never been in control of the process to decide whether those were dots that you wanted or dots that you didn't want. But now you're going to be armed with an understanding of what's going on with your mind, with thoughts that come to it, so that you can consciously take the tools we're going to learn and begin to purposefully, intentionally, with the anointing of God behind it, to form new strongholds. And gradually over time, those strongholds will replace the old strongholds. And so that's what this is really all about. Okay. Now, understand this. Although it says casting down, uh, pulling down strongholds, you're, you can't just go in there and rip that stronghold out of your mind because you're not strong enough. What you've got to do is two things. You've got to stop feeding it so that it will slowly fade. It may never go away, but it can come to the place where it no longer controls you. But that's not good enough because you can't just stop doing something unless you replace what you were doing with something positive. And that's the mistake. A lot of people try to deal with habits and things. They try to deal with the bad things without putting the good things in. Jesus used an example talking about spirits and deliverance. He said it's a huge mistake. He said the guy goes and casts the evil spirit out of the house. He said, and if he doesn't go bring something better in, what happens is that spirit goes around and collects other spirits ten times worse than this one and brings them back. And the state of the man afterwards was worse than the state of the first. Why? Because they, they, they cast out the devil but didn't put in something good to replace it. And so we have to, we're not going to focus on the bad images. What we're going to focus on is learning to create good ones that will then eventually become strongholds to us. Okay, in us. All right. Now, again, since a stronghold is made of an image, all we have to do is create a new image. And since images are made of thoughts, it's going to happen by creating new thoughts that make up new images which become new strongholds. And when we stop feeding the old strongholds, they'll begin to fade away. All right. Now, what I want to begin to do is talk about the process of renewing your mind. That's the goal. The goal is to create strongholds. Strongholds that are based on the Word of God. Strongholds that are... Oh, this is good. Strongholds now that are in you that line up with the left-hand side of what God's put in you. So we're going to take the left-hand side of things that God's put in us and we're going to form those into strongholds. So that now the stronghold's going to line up with what God's put in us. So now there's agreement. So instead of your images fighting those things coming to the outside, they're going to enhance them coming to the outside. But before we, I give you the tools for doing it, I want to talk to you about what the process is for renewing your mind. See, a lot of times, again, people teach you about renewing the mind. They go into techniques without giving you all this foundation and all this background. So you take these tools and start using them, but you don't know why. 
And you don't know why they work, you don't know how to work them, you just know if I do it, and they will work to a measure, but then what happens is we get discouraged, we begin to let them down because we don't see them working right, because we don't have a foundation for why we need to do it, or a foundation for what it is that we're doing, and as we have understanding of what we're doing, then it becomes easier to apply it in our lives. All right, so we're going to begin to now talk about the process of renewing our mind. And what we're going to use is we're going to take something you already know how to do. You don't have to learn anything new. We're going to take something that got you to where you are and use the same process to get you out. Because what got you to where you are was the process that formed strongholds. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to form new strongholds. So we're just going to use the same process. The only difference is we're going to use different dots. We're going to use different thoughts. But the processes you've already been using is the process that we're going to now learn to use on purpose, for a purpose and a goal and an intention. So that encouraged me. That means I can do this because I've been doing it already. It's just now I'm going to do it with information. Okay. Now, the other thing about this is, is what we're going to be using is God's Word. Most of, many of the, the dots that have gone into form images in you are not based on truth at all. The truth is more powerful than the lie. If the lie can be this strong to create that stronghold in you, imagine what the truth can do. Not only that, the Word of God is anointed by God and given to us by God for this very purpose. Turn with me quickly, and we'll get to this later on. I want to show this to you. Joshua chapter 1. We'll come back to this later on. Now, this is at a time in the life of Joshua where he's in a crisis. Joshua, for basically 40 years, has been the second in command under Moses. And he's been around when God appeared to Moses, but he's not really been in the middle of it. And God's appeared on the mountain several times and given Moses instructions. At one point, Moses says, this is neat. Can I see your, your glory, not just your presence? And God shows him his backside, his, the back of him. And, 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 and God's appeared outside the tent on Moses' behalf. God's performed miracles on Moses' behalf. God's moved mightily on Moses, parted the sea, destroyed the Egyptian chariot army, done all those things, and, Mo, and Joshua has been at his right hand. But it's one thing to be number two. It's another thing to move into number one. Because when you're number two, you've always got number one as a buffer. If I really mess up, number one's got to answer for it. But when you move, and I've done this twice, when you move from number two to number one, the perspective is totally different. Now the weight falls on you. Harry Truman had a thing on his desk, from what I understand, which made it really clear. Because as people would come up to the desk, there's a sign there saying, the buck stops here. The Passing the buck. When it's passed, this is where it stops. 
So Joshua's moved into this role. Not only that, when you step into that role of being in charge of God's people, there's a weight that begins to rest on you. It's a weight of responsibility for those people that God has entrusted to you. That's all now moved onto Joshua's shoulders. Not only that, he's now taken over the responsibility for getting somewhere between 600,000, that was the soldiers, the fighting men, about two to three million people somewhere they don't want to go. And they've had a track record of complaining against God and against their leader and what God's provided for them. And this man now finds himself in the position of being responsible for all of that. And Moses, the man he's looked up to, Moses, the man he's relied upon and gotten his strength from and his encouragement from, is now gone. And that's what this book opens with. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Get up. That's what it says. Don't sit it down. Don't stay where you are. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Arise and go over this Jordan. You and all this people to the land that I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place where the sole of your foot shall tread upon it, I have given you just as I said to Moses. He's giving Joshua the same commission that he gave to Moses. Because you see, when the man hears the commission from God, it, it gives him confidence of several things, but that he's been authorized by God to lead these people. That I said I've given to Moses, verse 4, from the wilderness of this Lebanon as far as the great river of the Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Why? Because as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And I will not leave you or forsake you. Now what he's going to say here, three times more in this chapter he's told. Be strong and of good courage. I just know this. When God has to tell you to be strong and of good courage, there's got to be a reason why you'd be tempted to not be strong and to not have courage. So Joshua must have had an image of himself that he was now going to have to change. Because he'd always seen himself as number two. He'd always seen Moses as the man God was with. He'd always seen Moses as the man that heard from God. He'd always seen Moses as the man that God used to perform the miracles. Now Moses is gone, and now he's got the same responsibility, but he's got the old image of himself. And God has to address that image First of all, by speaking to... Oh, this is good. I've never taught this before. First of all, by speaking to Joshua how God sees him. Never taught this before this way. Joshua, this is how I see you. You say, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful for God to do that with me? I suggest to you he has. I suggest to you 
This book is full of God speaking to you how he sees you and what he's done for you and what he wants to do through you. So we have what Peter calls a more sure word of prophecy than God's voice speaking to us. We have the written word of God telling us how God sees us. But that must not have been enough for Joshua. It must not have been enough just for him to hear God tell him how he sees him. Because the problem is, Joshua had some 80 years of dots put into him of how he saw him, how other people in the congregation saw him, how maybe his mother saw him. I don't know. We don't have all that information. But Joshua was, because he's human, he has 80 years experience, whatever number it was, of experience of images, dots put into him to show him who he thinks he is. And now he's got God saying who he is and what he can do. And he's got his own image saying of who he is and what he can do. It's kind of like all the stuff God put in us. It's not come to the end. So all that God's saying to him, God knows is not going to come about unless that image of himself changes. I've never taught this in this book. Mm. Mm. So now God's told him, I've made you the leader. Everything I said to Moses, I'm saying to you. As I was with Moses, I am with you and I will not leave you. But that must not have been enough because he says, Be strong and of good courage. All right? Now, look at verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right or the left that you may prosper wherever you go. And this is now what he tells him to do. So there must have been a reason for it. Just telling I'm with you must not have been enough. Verse 8 are his instructions of now what to do. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. We're going to learn that meditation is a process of taking dots and forming a picture in your mind. It's a process of taking God's thoughts about you and purposefully planting those thoughts in your mind to form God's image of you inside of you. This book contains God's image of you just as God's words to Joshua contain God's image of him. But God needed to instruct him how to get that image to be real on the inside of him. And the process is the same one you and I are going to learn. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may observe to do according to all that's it written in it. Well, wait a minute. Why can't God just command us to do it? Well, He can. But He can command you to do things you don't think you can do. 
He can command you to live righteous. And you look at yourself, how could I do that? Because the image you have of yourself is this dirty, rotten sinner that God just out of mercy lets you in the kingdom of God. And the Word of God says that you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your nature has been changed into the image of God. And I'll show you what a difference that makes. I don't have them anymore. But years ago it was popular to have white jeans. And I had a pair of white jeans that I would wear. That's dating me? Is that what you're laughing at? I got worse things than that. I got plaid bell bottoms. <laughs> Not anymore. That's another story. We, when we moved to Oklahoma, <laughs> we were only planning to be there in like nine months. So I took all my clothes, which were out of the 70s, because we moved there in the fall of 1980. I took my clothes and we packed them away in boxes because we figured we'd be back by the next spring. We didn't come back for four years. And our kids grew up. So we went to the storage place and we brought these boxes out. And I'll never forget our daughters with us unpacking these boxes. And she pulled out these plaid bell bottles. <laughs> and she looked at me. I said, well, you had to be there then. <laughs> oh, how did I get... Hey, well, you led me astray. See, I... Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> oh, white jeans. <laughs> it was this group over here. Not only did I have white jeans then, we had twin boys about three years old. <laughs> and when I would get these jeans out of the laundry and put them on, I was very conscious of where I sat down. And I love my kids, love them, but when their hands were greasy and they got near my white jeans, I was a little conscious of that. But after, you know, a few days of wearing them and you sat down where you shouldn't have sat down and the kids wrapped their arms around your legs and they began to get dirty, I wasn't so picky about where I sat down and I wasn't so picky about what I got around because they were dirty. So it didn't matter what's a little more dirt. And see, if you see yourself inside as dirty jeans... What difference does it matter where you take them? What difference does a little more dirt matter? Because they're already dirty. And that's why the devil keeps telling you, you're just dirty rags, you're dirty jeans. So you just might as well keep on getting them dirty and have fun because you're already dirty. Because that's how we, when we see ourselves that way, we'll act in accordance with how we see ourselves. But if you see that when you came to Christ... The old jeans went, and you put on a clean white jeans and a clean white suit. You're going to be very conscious, have the cleanliness, and not wanting to get it dirty. The only difference is in how you see yourself. And this is what God was changing and had to change in Joshua so that Joshua would begin to act in line with what God had already done. So he says to him again, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, 
and you, that you may observe to do, that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein. So apparently, in order to be able to do all that's written therein, we've got to change the way we think. We've got to change something inside of us, and it requires meditation. And we'll, go, we'll talk more down the road, because that's obviously one of the tools. But notice this, because then when you observe to do what's written in, then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. There's a progression there. We want to jump to success in the things of God, success in the things of life, by just making ourselves more successful. And the problem is you will not act beyond the image that you have of yourself. The lottery's proven that. To suddenly have millions of dollars dropped in people's laps, that doesn't change how they see themselves on the inside. They're going to act with that money the same way. They're going to act with a million dollars the same way they act with ten dollars. We've got several grandchildren, and I'm not going to mention which one's which, but we have (laughs) two of them that handle money very differently. One of them that has every dime that ever came to them. Not quite that bad. And the other (laughs) is just a conduit to the merchants. (laughs) So so we can't... Six, so, but see, that's what happens. The way you see money is what you're going to do with $10, $100, $1,000, or a $1 million. Because the money doesn't change you. It just changes what you can do with it. It doesn't make your character any better. It just makes you more dangerous if you have bad character. Because you can do more harm. More money means you can do more harm or more good. The difference isn't the money. It's the character that was already built in you when you had the $10 and the $20. When we get further into this message on tithing on Wednesday night, I'm going to share some testimonies with you of successful people. And there's one man who, when you heard his name, you would know immediately who he is. His name is, is, is linked with wealth. And he said, I tithed on the first dollar I ever received. And I'm convinced if I didn't tithe on the first dollar, I wouldn't have tithed on the first million. But it's, so, so pr- prosperity and success doesn't come just because you want it. There's a process. And the process he goes through here is you've got to begin. Success comes from being prosperous. It's not the other way around. Success comes from being prosperous. And that's not just money. Prosperity comes from doing according to what's written in the Word. See, that's the part we want to skip. We want the prosperity and the blessing, but we don't want to do according to... By the way, he doesn't say, do according to what's written in the Word regarding God's blessings. There's a little word in here that has three letters. Do according to all that is written in the Word. You understand the kingdom of God is not a buffet where you can skip the dessert end of the line. You've got to start with the salad and go to the soup and then you've got to go to the vegetables and then you can get to the main course and the dessert's down the line if you've got enough room left over. But we want to go to the goodies first. 
But you've got to be, you've got to observe all. We like this, my God will supply all my needs. We like that all. But we don't like this all. But it's the same all. And so the, the, the smallest all you use is the same all God's going to use for supplying all your needs. But I won't go there because there's a reason for that. It's the way your mind works. Anyway, okay. So here what God's doing is God's saying, I'm, 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 I'm ordaining you to success. I've ordained that. But the only way it's going to happen is you observe to do all that I've written in the Word. And the only way that's going to happen is if you begin to change how you see yourself to line up with this Word, that this Word applies to you, means you, refers to you, and talks about you, and therefore you can do it. Okay. Now, so the point is this. That's the method. We're going to take the Word of God, which has been given to us in part for this purpose. So God has ordained it and anointed it as a tool. Because remember what, what Paul says. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. The strongholds that you're dealing with that have been embedded in you are not ordained by God. They're not formed by some anointing by God. They're formed because the process works. Even with lies, the process works. So how much better, how much faster, how much more certain when we take the truth of God's Word that's been given to us by God for this purpose and is anointed with the power of God to change those strongholds and pull them down when we start taking the truth of this Word and begin to form new images based on thoughts that come from this Word. And I share that with you because one of the things we'll talk about probably next time is that it can be overwhelming. Well, you know, I'm 50-some years old or I'm 60 years old or I'm 40 years old. My goodness, it took 40 years to get here. Is it going to take 40 years to change it? No! 40 years with lies. The truth is much more powerful than the lie. All right, let's begin to get into what does it mean to renew the mind. So I like to break things down so you have an understanding of not just why we're doing it, not just what we're working with, but what it means to do this. Well, then simply, we've talked about the fact that your mind, this is why it's important to lay this foundation, that our minds work in patterns of thoughts. So renewing our mind simply means changing those patterns of thoughts to line up with God's patterns of thoughts. We started back in the book of Isaiah by saying in Isaiah 55, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. The result of that is my ways are not your ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways higher than your ways. But he never says we can't think his thoughts. That's just saying where we're starting out. In fact, the whole Bible is given to us in part so that we can learn to think His thoughts because this book contains His thoughts. And once you learn to think His thoughts, you'll learn to think along with His ways. There's a difference. Okay. So, to change, 
To renew our mind means to change the pattern of your thoughts. And let me give you an example. I'm going to give you several examples of this uh, so that we can begin to look at it from different points of view. One of which we may not be able to relate with and two of which I suspect you will. When I went to law school, I had a stepfather and he was kind of the one that inspired me. He was a brilliant lawyer, very successful. Um, I really looked up to him and, and he was part of why I was inspired to do that. And, and um, he took me aside before I went to school and he said, I want you to understand something. He said, I want you to understand that in the good law schools, now some of them don't do this, but in the really good law schools, he said, they don't teach you the law. I said, what? It's law school. He says, no, they're training lawyers to go all over the country. It's not enough to know the law. Anybody can find the law out. What they'll teach you in law school is to think differently. And I really didn't understand what he meant other than to not go expecting to learn the law. And the first day, that's what they do. They begin to radically challenge you, basically to wake you up like a drill sergeant does in the military to let you know you're not thinking the way they want you to learn to think. And here's an example of what I mean. If I had a client come into my office, and I didn't do this type of law, but it's the simplest one to describe. Client has been in an accident. And they come in and tell me what happened. So they're telling me the facts as they see them. The fact was I was going down this road and this car came flying through a red light to the side and plowed right into the side of me. And, and you know, and the result was, you know, we, all these stuff happened, you know, get them. They would put it that way, but sue them. You know, I want my damages. I want to be compensated for this. The client comes in thinking in terms of their memory of the facts that happened. In law school, you're trained to think the other way around. In order to win in court, what is it I have to prove? So for different types of things, not that this matters to you, but that's called a tort, T-O-R-T. A tort, if I remember correctly, it's been a long time, there are five basic elements you have to prove. I'm listening to the story of all the terrible things that were done to the person, whether it was an accident or somebody you know, robbed, whatever they did to me. While I'm listening to this rambling story, I'm listening for those five elements. Are they there? Because they can be so mad at that person, that person can do the most horrible thing to them, but if all five of those elements are there, they're not going to win in court. So in law school, I was, we were trained for whatever area of the law it was, to think in terms of what it's going to take to succeed, oh, prosper, to succeed in the courtroom if that was the issue. There are other more complicated things than that. So I was trained to take a whole bunch of facts. The first thing I was trained to was not to believe my client, but anyway, a whole bunch of facts and then arrange them in an order that's going to produce the results. Okay, let me give you a different example that maybe more of us can relate to. Yeah, I know. I, I, uh, I, I enjoy going to Starbucks. And I could use any other, but there's a particular reason for this one. And I have very simple taste. Hot, black coffee. My simple philosophy is, that's the way God intended it to be. 
He didn't put sugar in it, and he didn't put cream in it when it came out, you know, he, in the beans. He made it black, and we change it. But I understand different views, and my wife has a very different view. And she'll want different things in it, and this time thing. So well, I'll go in, we'll go to place an order, and I simply, you know, she'll go through all these stuff, you know, some of which I'm not sure I still understand. And they go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They don't write anything down. They go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then they look at me. I says, black, coffee, <laughs> small, medium. And I asked him one day, I says, my order I can understand you remember. But how do you remember her order? And the person in front of us told something completely different. And they said, oh, it's easy. We were trained that no matter what you tell us or how you tell it to us, to listen, first of all, for size, then temperature, and then they had an order of things that they were trained to listen to, whatever it is we said we want, as a, so that they can then go through and check that off in their mind. I'm going to have a grande, whatever it is, you know, with this stuff in it. So I realized one day their mind was renewed from the mind of a customer that just comes in saying, these are all the things I want. I think I got them all covered. So that's what renewing the mind is.